This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. The, uh, we call them also the wisdom tradition. Um, now, I'm not going to lie, I, I struggled. There is so much here. Ooh, yikes. And since we don't have an hour just to begin the story of Abigail and unpack the stories that preceded us, I lamented very loudly this week. So we are just going to kind of jump into this. And it may feel a little wiggly at times, but I want you to just hang in there. We're going to be unpacking this story over this next month, and it is worth it. It is worth it to hang in to what is happening here in this story, and I invite you to do so. So honor and shame are um, they're an ancient cultural concept Um, And I think the first thing we want to do is talk about, so we've got, (sighs) Lord, save me from my own frustration. (laughs) Honor and shame is something that we have some understanding of in our Western rationalist cultures, but we're mostly a guilt culture, right? If you don't go to Sunday, Uh, worship, and you end up bumping into the pastor in the grocery store, you generally make an excuse about why you weren't there on Sunday. Uh, I know know you do this, because I have done this many times, run into folks. So that's just guilt, and that's different than honor and shame. And so when when we tackle biblical stories where honor and shame are at the foreground of how the story works, how it teaches us about God... We have to uh, recognize that we're going to jump into a different culture with a different way of looking at what is honorific and what is shameful. So oftentimes, we put honor in the bucket of good and shame in the bucket of bad because there's some truth to that. When you are shamed or ashamed, you know, you won't make eye contact with people and you cover your eyes. And depending on what your honor standing is, if you're feeling like you're an honorable person, you're willing to make eye contact. You're willing to look people in the eye and stand boldly. In the Middle East, it's not so much about your personal honor, but it becomes an honor standing that is shared with your family. So the idea is the public person, the person on the outside who interfaces and does business, embodies what is the honor standing of that particular family. And so a lot of things go into how we understand honor, but what's on the outside is a big part of it, a really big part of it, which is why Nabal is called, catch it, an important man, but not an honorable one. So being important, technically, he's got a lot of Importance. You could even say he was honorable. Jesus teaches us that just because the, um, the Pharisee is important, it doesn't make the Pharisee honorable. It's a tough lesson to learn if you're a Pharisee, right? 
So we go back to Nabal. He's important, but he's hard. He's foolish. He's not wise. Why would it matter that he wasn't wise? Because wisdom is the path to honor. So sometimes we say that the men in this ancient cultures embody the honor, and the women embody the shame. But that's too black and white, too dichotomic. It is true that the family holds the shame of what dishonorable thing that the patriarch has done. So if the patriarch goes out and does something really awful, the whole family gets to share in the shame of it. But that doesn't make them personally shameful, right? In fact, women in these cultures are wise. There's a social intelligence that comes with wisdom, right? It's knowing how to interact in any given situation in order to produce an honorable result. And women are the ones who teach the men in the domestic sphere, prime them before an encounter so that they can maintain the honor of the family on the outside. So this is far more reciprocal than we realize because we just see the outside parts. We don't see the wisdom role that the women play within the family. So honor is what you see on the outside. It is the standing, the status and standing of primarily as represented by the male head of household in the culture. So Nabal is the male head of household. Is he bringing honor to his household? He's got a lot of flocks and goats, but that's actually not what God is talking about. And so it's important to decipher the difference between honor and prosperity. Right? It's a difference. It's not the same thing. And to recognize that Abigail is not a creature of shame here, but a creature of wisdom. Now, she does carry the shame of the family for how bad Nabal is, and the whole family has to partake of that. But she herself, in her walk in wisdom, through her ability to create shame as an honorable thing, uplifts the whole family and changes everything. We're going to get to her, though. Hold that thought. I know that was complicated. It's okay. We'll get there. So wisdom is the path to honor. Wisdom is that path. So let's, let's also take a look at this stole. To be able to put it on is an action of honor, right? It is an honorific thing. I went through years and years, hundreds of years <laughs> of school and formation and board of ministry interviews, and oh my goodness me, it shouldn't be easy to do, so there's that. However, um, after I lay exhausted in the street and was finally ordained, um, I got to wear the stole. In our tradition, that's the path for this. Now, this is a mark of honor. It's not my personal mark. It reflects on me, but it reflects on all of us, our whole church, if I went out into the street and started doing awful things, like pouring gasoline directly into the Bear Creek, wouldn't that be awful for all of us? We hate that idea. If I, if I polluted, if I created toxic waste right in the middle of the street or I did something awful, it would be a shameful act. But it wouldn't just reflect on me. 
all of us would feel that shame. And what's worse, if I did it in a shameless way, I'm not even owning the shame that I'm producing. To be shameless is the worst of all, and I'm not taking in any wisdom. So here's a story. Um, my, I learned about honor and shame, that's fascinating, uh, from a professor. Um, his name is Professor Dick Rohrbach, and he spent years in Palestine, living with a family in Palestine, and learning in his very clumsy way the rules of honor and shame, the subtleties of wisdom when you live in Palestine. And he was horrible at it, constant embarrassment to the family that he lived with. And they were um, very wealthy and very important in town because he was a professor that gave him automatic understanding, but it also made him sort of shameless. He didn't understand how to be properly honorable. So uh, a good example of this was he, his, his host had uh, been so good to him, so generous. Generosity is a sign of honor. So generous and so much hospitality. Hospitality is a sign of honor. And so he went into a public place where, and I'm going to call this man Ibrahim, I don't remember his name, where Ibrahim was uh, working or attending or doing something important. And he said, oh, Ibrahim, in front of everybody, I so appreciate everything you've done. I am just really grateful. What an amazing time I've had already. I'd like to treat you and your whole family to dinner. Can I treat you to dinner? Can I take you to dinner tonight? Now, from the Western mind, this is lovely. This is a reciprocal exchange where we're like being kind and generous to each other. For Ibrahim, it was horrible. Absolute darkness descended on his face. He had just endured an honor challenge and an insult. A man of his standing to imply that you needed to pay for his dinner, to one-up him for generosity, to repay him for his hospitality, that's not something you bargain over. That's something freely given. He had completely ham-handed it, and he, he couldn't understand. Like, oh, he knew he'd done something really wrong. Ibrahim closed the book together and said, I don't even remember what we told in the story, but basically, I don't think so kind of thing. But it was, you know, he's stuck trying to be as honorable as he can in a moment where he's been tremendously insulted, and he doesn't want to go into an insult back where they have an insult fest to see who emerges the victorious, honorific one, which is a lot better than violence. First person who moves to violence loses the honor challenge game. Remember that when we see some of the behaviors out there. So Professor Rohrbach goes back to where the family is living, and it is Olivia's job, ooh, I used her name, whoops. It is Olivia's job to tell, to teach him better. She is their college-age daughter. She's one of the wise women of the house. She understands social behaviors and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do in order to maintain honor for the family. She watched him, he said, like a hawk <laughs> because he was constantly tripping over these things. And after incidents happened, they would talk about it. Well, why do you think that happened? What did you do? What did you do this time? What did you think would happen? And slowly and slowly he learned. But he cost his host a lot of money that day because the way that Ibrahim had to respond in order to show that he was a man of honor 
uh, in the way that, you know, to not have it ding his honor was to host a magnificent dinner at the most expensive restaurant with many good friends. So there was no question about what he could or couldn't afford or whether he was generous or whether he was a good man of hospitality, in which case, and Olivia said to Professor Rohrbach, and you will go, <laughs> and you will be glad, and you will praise him in public. That is your job. Crazy, right? Is that, is that how it works at your house for Thanksgiving? Yeah, not mine either. I, uh, I, I would love it if everybody would sit around and praise me. That'd be great. Um, doesn't happen that way. You know, it's more like, who made the gravy? Uh, uh, that wasn't me. That was some other person I don't know that came in and out. It was so fast, I couldn't even tell who it was. So, but there's logic to it, isn't there? The logic that informs, and all of our cultures do silly things, so it feels silly to us a little bit here, but there is some really good wisdom behind how we organize that. It's a way of making sure that those who have a lot understand their honor comes from sharing it, from generosity and hospitality, right? That that's the honorable thing, not like Nabal hoarding it. It's an understanding that women have a very important social intelligence that they bring to bear in these settings. Now, you know there's some women who are probably dense as anything and some men who are incredibly wise, but we're talking in lumps. But it also works against this Western notion sometimes that women are completely devalued in Middle Eastern culture. And actually, that's not true. There are some incredible conversations that go on once the doors are closed, but there is a public persona. So when I wear this, I am coming out into public to, to be in the place of something that is far more important and more honorable than I am. And it's not something you just do. It's something you spend years doing. And it doesn't reflect me. It reflects my whole community. And, and that's the key. So when Nabal is so insulting to David. He is bringing shame on everybody. Here's the other piece. I know, hold on to these pieces, I know, I know. So, wisdom leads to honor. But, but what do we decide what is wise? On what do we base our understanding of what might be wise? What are the parameters? What are the bottom, what's the bottom line here? And that's our Bible. Our biblical covenants with God, when God says, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, release the prisoner, love your neighbor, those are the rules that we seek to bring into our cultures in a way that brings honor, prosperity, and beloved community. Now, you can be honorable without being prosperous, but the idea is that everybody eats we're not talking about you have to be super wealthy, but the, the kingdom banquet is a serious thing. Everybody eats. It's really basic. Everybody eats. So, so let's back this up, right? I want to be honorable. I don't want to, um, you know, I don't I want to cause harm. I want to be honorable. I need to learn the way of wisdom to help me do that because it's not so cut and dry. And wisdom comes from our basic understanding of the laws and covenants of the Bible and what we do and how we act on those. 
So, the, the story in a nutshell as we begin to um, explore this story is we start out in Hebron. We have armies all around. We have David with, uh, depending on what sources you read, different levels of hundreds of men. He has hundreds of men. And this is a tribal time. We have King Saul, who is the first king of Israel, and he is working to unite the tribes, but it's not working out so well. David has been anointed king by Samuel, but that happened when he was a little boy. He is Jesse's son of Bethlehem, but nobody knows really who he is. He has some stature, some standing that he's gained in certain circles because he slew Goliath. As he rises up to take his place of king, the question is, what kind of king will he be? We have Nabal, who is there, and I imagine him standing inside a sort of uh, open, sort of the, with some stone uh, areas around him uh, because they're doing sheep shearing and they're slaughtering. He's got um, his uh, servants at work, and I imagine him as actually doing some of that work himself. Money, 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 grabbing that fleece, uh, uh, unrolling it, laying it down so it can be bundled for sale, getting to touch it, knowing that this is money in the, in the bank, money in his pocket, the false honor that he is growing for himself. He is, this sheep shearing time is an important thing to know when this story starts. It is a time of generosity. It is like Christmas or Thanksgiving. When you shear your sheep and you begin the, the uh, take stock of what animals you have, you are counting in your head, this is what I need to feed my household and my family, and then I have this extra. That's God-given. Doesn't belong to you personally. But Nabal is personalizing this. It's his wealth. He can be as mean to his and ungenerous and inhospitable as he wants. He is foolish, we are told which means he is not wise. David's army has been out, and you know how hard it is to feed an army, especially in the desert? And instead of predating, going in, killing, demanding, taking over the, the, the big flocks, he tells his men, don't touch any of them. In fact, guard them. Make sure they stay safe. Make sure nobody takes a single sheep. David is behaving wisely, and honorably, but he has an agenda. Going to keep everything together. It's all safe. So he then he says to his servants at sheep shearing time, his tummy may be rumbling. This is the time to ask, to show that I have been honorable and reciprocally. That's a that's a compliment, and you return that with a compliment by being generous. I'm not asking for something that isn't within the realm of reason or wisdom or honor to ask. So he sends 10 of his men to go and ask. And they do, by all standards, they ask politely, but they remind Nabal, look, we, we safeguarded these. There's extra, you have all of them, in part because of us, because we watched out for your things and we did the right thing. And Nabal, <laughs> Nabal thinks only of his own desire to keep everything for himself, to denigrate others by making himself seem more important than he is. And he basically says, well, who are you clowns? What clown is this that you claim to 
serve, like what I'm supposed to help every orphaned derelict that comes my way, every barefooted, bad tooth, bad breath, uncombed. He, he basically is so insulting. First of all, it wouldn't matter if he was uncombed. I mean, he's out in the desert. He's camping. Leave him alone. Gee whiz, I don't look so great when I'm camping. But second of all, it's Nabal is doing here is just not okay. It's not biblical. Does it follow any of the covenants? Any? And so then we are told the ten servants turn around and they go back and they tell David what has occurred. Anybody read this story? Oh, good. You'll be learning it then. Episode two is next Sunday. But let us say it's not good what happens next. And we're all going to be in prayer for what happens next. So I want to shout out to our uh, team for putting together this beautiful display. And as we start thinking ahead to our conversation around what is honorable, what is wise, what is courageous, and how it fits with our understanding of expressing God's law, that this story isn't just ancient. This story, like this beautiful coloring, transports us, connects us through time, and invites us to ask the question on our own. How, how am I, with my life, uplifting the covenants of God to live an honorable life? How can I grow in wisdom, and how can I grow in faithfulness and honor to God? So bring that one in. Just let it sit. Trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through this season. We are going to be following uh, the message as we finish this uh, right now with a little bit of a moment of silence. And I encourage you to be just quiet as you mull this and prayerful for just a moment. <laughs>